welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Talk about leaving y'all on a cliffhanger. It's been way too long since I've dived into Esther's story and dived into Grace Talks as a whole. An update on my personal life, I have graduated from Texas A&M University and immediately began working full-time, and by full-time I mean overtime. And as much as I would love to say I've simply been too busy to take the time to write and record podcasts, the truth is is that I was choosing to stay busy with other tasks and getting settled into my new routine. My walk with God isn't a perfect one, and it never will be. So I was taking the spare moments I had over the last few months to work on my personal faith, and not just public messages. I got involved with a local church and volunteering with the kids ministry, and I'm trying to prioritize fellowship. Taking that time helped me to recharge, and now I'm ready to continue with our current series on Esther. For this episode, we're going to be starting with the sixth chapter of Esther. We all know by now my love for this book of the Bible, um, and if you need to recatch up on old episodes, I would suggest doing that too. Uh, but yeah, so I hope you're growing to love it as well. Another shout out to Beth Moore for her Bible study of Esther when it helped me study Esther for the first time. Now that it has been a while, we all could really use a recap on what we learned so far. Esther won King Xerxes' favor and a crown. Mordecai is her cousin who refuses to bow to Haman, the king's evil right-hand man. Haman hates Mordecai for this, and his retaliation is to wipe off every Jew from the face of the earth. Haman gets his plan enacted into the form of an unrepealable edict, and Mordecai convinces Esther to save her people at great risk to her own life. Esther throws the king and Haman, of all people, a banquet, and Xerxes is prepared to offer her up to half of his kingdom. Haman has been given everything he has ever wanted, power second only to the king, and yet still he cannot find peace because Mordecai shows him no fear. Haman's wife and his people finally tell him to just ask the king to hang Mordecai, or in this case, impale him on a seven-story tall pole. The Persians really didn't mess around with their public executions. So as chapter six begins, Haman has planned to visit the king early in the morning to get approval for his latest scheme before their next private banquet with Esther. But what Haman doesn't know is that the Lord doesn't let the king rest easy on this night. So now is where you should open up your Bibles to Esther chapter six. We're going to start off with verses one through three. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition had Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So a reminder here, Bigthana and Teresh had planned to kill the king, and Mordecai overheard them, told Esther, and Esther was able to make sure that the king was aware of their plans. Now, the king is unaware of the family connection between Mordecai and Esther at this point, and he was also obviously oblivious to not have rewarded Mordecai at that moment. A big faux pas, if you will. But it's all in God's timing. For some reason, this is the night that the king cannot sleep. And what does he happen to want read to him? A boring book with a series of accounts that would help him drift off. The book of the Chronicles for the record of King Xerxes' reign uh, wouldn't have been a singular book. There would have been books and books detailing every single thing that had happened in the last 13 years of his reign. His servants just so happened to pick this book and read this little detail. And the king just so happens to be just awake to wonder what they did to honor Mordecai for his heroic act from five years ago. 
like I said, God's timing. The most amazing thing, though, is not that God would set up the perfect circumstance for a Persian king, because he seems like a key player in the history books, right? But it's that God would time out a perfect circumstance for regular people, like for you and for me. And trust me, I know what it's like to feel like God's timing is not in line with what I want. But in the same way that Mordecai's patience is going to provide an epic opportunity, so can our circumstances be set up in an unexpected way. God's timing makes us depend on his deliverance. God's timing gives him the glory. And this next part of the story is pretty glorious. Esther chapter six, verses four through six reads like this. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered him, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? I told you, God's timing. Haman is about to request the execution of the man King Xerxes is preparing to honor, but Haman doesn't know that. He's been spoiled by the king and now recently Esther from the last two banquets. He thinks the king seeks to honor him. Obviously, right? Who is there the king would rather honor than me? Now, as funny as this is, this is also a good application moment for ourselves. When do we relate that phrase to ourselves? Who deserves more credit for blank than me? Who deserves the position more than me? Who deserves that opportunity more than me? And we might not think about it in those exact phrases, but there's always going to be times where we feel like there's something that we deserve. And a side note on this, we don't have to think highly of ourselves to think obsessively about ourselves. Insecurity and self-hate are all just the flip side of the coins of vanity and pride. So the best way to go around self-centered thinking either way is to focus your attention on others and the world around you. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Haman seeks to honor himself. Learn from the villain and honor others above yourself. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 4 say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Haman is all self-ambition and vain conceit. Let's see where this takes him. In verses 7 through 9, this is his reply. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse to the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So what is it here that Haman is wishing to experience? Well, let's compare some similarities with other stories in the Bible. Genesis 41, 42 through 43 talks about the story of Joseph says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second command and the people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. In 1 Kings uh, 1, 32 through 35, this is Solomon's story, King David's son. King David said, call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. 
When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. That's probably pronounced wrong. <laughs> there have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Then in Luke 19 through 30, this is Jesus's command to his disciples. He tells them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And then Jesus goes on to ride on this colt and uh, go through the city streets and people praise him in the city streets. So basically what Haman's wanting here, what he's requesting that the king should do for the man he wishes to honor, which of course he thinks is him, Haman wants to be treated as a ruler, as a king in his own right. He's asking for everything, essentially, except for the title of a king. But keep in mind that Haman is not asking on his behalf. In reality, King Xerxes has asked him how he should honor Haman's least favorite person in the whole world. So how will the king take Haman's advice? Let's see. In verses 10 through 11, we hear it. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Psalm 59 verse 12 says, for the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride for the curses and lies they utter. Finally, we see Haman caught in his pride, forced to himself honor the man he was seeking to murder and continues to seek out death for via the genocide of his people. He has to honor him in the way he sought out to be honored. His dreams of significance being placed on the man who refused to bow to him. Pride is a state of the heart. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What we meditate on, our mouths speak of, and our actions are dictated by. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Haman was offered praise by King Xerxes, and his response was agreed for more praise from others and from the king. He wanted validation. He wanted, he wanted it all. He wanted more than everything because he wasn't satisfied. And his response was greed. But when we find our significance in God, the opinions of people, negative or positive, do not change us. Instead of further seeking out validation, we can continue as Mordecai did by keeping up our work. And we see him do that in the next part of our story in verses 12 through 14. It says, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He went right back to work. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. A fun little tidbit of translation here. In Hebrew, the word advisor translates to wise men which the writer could have been using ironically, as in wise after the fact, uh, but that's just a funny side note. 
but but Haman is literally grieving over this wound to his ego. Says Haman went home grieving, right? His head covered in grief. He receives no reassurance from his wife or his ever so wise advisors. With no time to recover, he is whisked away to the final banquet Esther has prepared. Now is where we pause and wonder, will he have a chance to recover his pride or will he be knocked down further? No one has further to fall than someone who has set themselves up high. I really loved Beth Moore's quote from her book here. She said, all will fall before God's throne. Blessed are they who do not have far to go. That's everything that I have for today. Don't forget to review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give a follow on the Grace Talks podcast Instagram or Twitter accounts, or maybe even share the link to your favorite episode with someone you know. You can even start watching these episodes on the new YouTube channel. So feel free to subscribe and like these videos as well. Every time you share or engage with my content, you increase the reach that Grace Talks makes. So I hope you join in next time as we continue talking about Esther. I won't make everyone wait so long for the next episode this time. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I would be happy to answer as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You're important. You have worth, and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.